This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Sam Cunley shares a three-step process to help your marketing team drive more results with less budget and resources. You'll learn how to study your historical performance to know where you've been, how to determine potential growth levers to help you hit the goal that you've been given, and how to educate stakeholders on those growth levers and set a timeline to get there. If you're trying to do more with less this year, like a lot of us, I think you'll find this episode helpful. Sam, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Like I said, you've been, since your uh, Refined Labs days, which kind of like put you on my radar, I came across your posts, I forget how long ago, um, but I've seen your name surface a lot. We have, I think, a mutual friend or two in common. So thank you so much for being willing to come on. And I'm really excited about this topic. Yeah, man. This stuff's always so much fun. I love to geek out on anything like this. So when someone's like, hey, can you like go deeper on this? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah. It's like, I know when when you really like get into what you do and like love breaking stuff down, you're like, yeah, it doesn't even feel like work to like talk for an hour about this stuff. So no, no, not at all. All right. Awesome. Well, today, uh, so we're going to be covering a topic probably near and dear to a lot of listeners' hearts. I know it's something we're facing at Databox, probably just about every company's facing, which is having to do more with less. Um, you wrote a killer post about this, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes. If you're if you're listening, open up your podcast app and tap that link if you want to go read Sam's summation of this of this episode, essentially. Um, but yeah, a lot of companies are are experiencing some growing pains in 2023. They're having to increase results sometimes significantly with uh, half the spend with significantly less spend. Um, and you had a really cool framework you laid out, which I liked. It touched on some stuff. We've had Adam Goyette on the show. He went on like part of this, but you're framing it in this like bigger way. So I'm excited to kind of dig into this with you. So I guess for, for everyone listening, you broke it down into three stages. What's like the, sh- give us the short summary of like, okay, I'm a marketing leader, you know, or maybe a founder without a, without your first marketer yet. I've got to do more with less. What are your like pause, breathe, you know, do these first three steps kind of, kind of a thing. How would you summarize them? Well, maybe it is four steps. First one is pause and breathe. Uh, <laughs> you'll be okay. We'll get through it. But no, I mean, it always like your gut check is always, why are they asking me to be a miracle worker? You know, what, what am I supposed to pull out of this? But the reality is that, you know, it comes up for all of us in some form or fashion. So after having gone through it a number of times, I've started to pick up. I'm like, okay, what are the ways that we can start to go through this? And what are, what, what's a playbook to follow that you can, you can use to manage this. So um, yeah, the three, the three kind of buckets that you get into is one, just knowing your historical performance, where have you been? What can you expect? Determine your growth levers. Um, this is always such a big one for marketers that I want them to understand. It's not just paid. It's not only like I need to spend more to get more. It's not lead volume only at the top. There's so many other things that we can do and we'll touch on those. And then the last one and I think it's the most important and the most neglected is educating the stakeholders on those levers, mm-hmm. how they're going to be used, the timeline to get there. Because it's funny, I saw this post the other day also about a CEO that was saying like marketing stopped throwing execs under the, the bus, or I mean, it could be sales, CS, whoever, but just because we don't speak your language doesn't mean we don't get the value of it. We're just, we care about bigger things, pipeline, revenue, keeping the doors open. And so this is where that disconnect is, is you have to be able to speak the language of the execs, the people that care of those who are making the decision. Hey, you have to, you have to pull back your budget because we have to, you know, do this as a company. So being able to translate your work, those levers, and then putting it in a way that they'll understand is a huge unlock to being able to get the buy-in, the credibility and the trust of these people, um, to, to be able to do this and do this well so that they're not just like, okay, marketing's a cost center, but marketing is a true business lever for us. 
Yeah, love it. Love this framework. Um, and I'm excited to get to that last point. I saw a couple posts in the same vein. Um, and it's always amazed me. It's always like pleasantly surprised me how much from the outside looking in at marketing, you can feel like, oh man, like we're just up against it or like, you know, goals or, or numbers are thrown out that you have to hit. But the moment, like I've always found that whenever you take the time to explain like the philosophy behind, right? Like I think so many marketers and we'll probably get into this at that point. So not to jump ahead too much, but I think marketers are so quick to like either throw out metrics or number, like a lot of stuff that they don't care about. It's like, just tell me how this impacts growth or pipeline, or they don't do a good job of explaining their philosophy. So if you, and like leadership naturally, if they can't understand the philosophy, it's like, well, yeah, they're going to have pushback or questions. They don't understand what this is accomplishing. And I've found every time you like pump the brakes and explain it, it often yields a ton of fruit um, because you're in agreement, you're on the same page. It shows that you've thought through this. A lot of times on this topic, it can even be like, I, I've heard marketers say like, yeah, if you're willing to like pump the brakes and talk to them, you can be like, this isn't realistic. Look at the numbers. And look at what we've worked through. I can drive this much growth, but probably not what you're projecting. You know what I mean? And even that process, they're like, oh yeah, that's logical. You showed me with numbers. So I think sometimes like that can that can feel like a scary thing, but actually it was like the, the lifesaver through this process. So yeah. Oh um, my God, that's so spot on. That's so perfect. Yeah, because it is. It's when you work backwards from those numbers and you show them, here's all the levers that I have at my disposal. And then you still are finding that you're coming up, you know, thousand, 10,000, 100,000, whatever short. They're like, okay, well, I guess, I guess we kind of have exhausted all of the different things we can do that might not be the most realistic thing. 100%. It also, it, it allows, I mean, we're, yeah, I'll, I'll promise I'll have the self-control to start on this one, <laughs> save it for, for the end of the interview, but it, it really, um, it also really helps you get buy-in for like longer term investment. Like I, I, it helps you set expectations for things like, okay, you know, we're going to give YouTube a try. It's like, give some idea of like, what are early signals of success that are not revenue, but the indicate revenue may be coming. Let's come to an agreement of how long we're going to try this before we cut it out. I know, I know, uh, refine labs, uh, we had Tori on to talk about the stage gate process. I love that concept because it gets everybody. If you, if you haven't listened to it, you know, flip, flip a couple of times in your podcast app and go back to the interview with Tori from refine labs. Uh, because this reven revenue R and D model that you know Refine is preaching, um, I like it because it gets marketers and leaders on the same page of like let's agree on expectations of how far we'll take this and at what stage we'll commit to another level of investment versus just like being at completely opposite ends and leadership being like it's not working because they don't see pipeline and marketing being like you don't understand and they don't take the time to explain so. Anyway, excited to jump into that point, obviously. Um, let's start on knowing your historical performance. Um, what are you looking at here? So walk me through. I've, I've been asked this, you know, I've, I've been given the order to, to grow by 50% and my budget is shrinking. Um, so, you know, as you said, in context, you need to know what's working best, I'm assuming, so I can know to double down there and know what I have at my disposal. So where am I going for this information? What am I, what kind of metrics are, am I looking at? Break this down for me. Yeah. So there's a handful of different ways you can do it. And 
don't let the spreadsheet scare you with it. Like you really can keep it relatively simple. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. So what I say is go back and grab 12 months worth at least of your marketing data. The reason why I say 12 months and not just quarter, it's going to help account for seasonality and other things that, that come into play. So when I'm looking at that 12 months, I'm just looking overall like, okay, what did we spend? Break it up by month, by quarter, um, total. And that's going to be relative to, you can look at it from just like a paid ad spend. You can look at it from an overhead spend of how many people, resources did I have to create everything involved? Um, what did, we're not going to go down the attribution or hole, but like what did marketing source in terms of demos, pipeline, revenue? So you can understand, okay, like what did marketing drive? We still want to keep apples to apples. And then you can start to calculate out conversion rates and your cost per. So like how much did it cost to get a demo if you're sales led? How much did it cost to get per sign up if you're PLG, um, cost per opportunity, cost per customer, et cetera. And what that's going to do is just help you understand, okay, where have we been? And then if you want to go a little bit more granular on it, one thing you can do is I love organizations. I don't know if this is going to be realistic for many, but that haven't done marketing before or have done very nominal investment. And then they really ramped up because you can look and see like that before and after what happened when we did all of a sudden add in 50, dollars $200,000 more in media spend. What kind of incremental lift did we get? Because then you can start to work back and say, okay, we spent you know $10,000 a month before we had 100 demos per month. Then we spent $100,000 a month and we had 200 demos. So you can start to see, okay, that $100,000 gets us like 90 demos or whatever the number is that I'd already forgotten in my head as I'm talking through this. But that can help you see, okay, like what is the paid lever going to do for us? And then understanding that, you know, there is a, a point of diminishing returns on it, but start with, with those levers or not, sorry, not with those levers, with those buckets, because that's just going to help you baseline everything, get it on paper in front of your leadership and others. So you can see, okay, it's like, here's what we've done. Here's exactly what you can expect if we continue status quo, um, just to kind of set up the next part of the conversation, which is, okay, what are the growth levers or, or where do we want to take this conversation? Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. So to keep it simple, if listeners like just want a starting point and kind of feel overwhelmed, do you generally recommend basically, would you take, would you count like all the salaries of your marketing team combined with whatever it costs you to do marketing? So that could be like paid channels. It could be freelancers or paid writers if they're content heavy. So like what you spent to try and get people on all your channels 
and what your overhead is, add that number together, and then how many deals or how many signups or whatever, at what value did you drive? And then you roughly know, um, okay, this is how much we did with that amount of money. Yeah. If you have access to it, usually that's going to be like CMO VP level that has access to, you know, salaries, all the, all the expenses there. If, if your headcount pretty much is remaining the same, not a lot's changed. It's more just, Hey, you need to spend less on ads. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Cause that's going to be a constant. It's not going to be so much of a variable moving forward, okay. but what okay. I would probably do is, is looking in two lenses. One is called like your ad spend. Um, results. So it's just a function of how much was spent on paid media. And then the other one, you can go up a level and call it like more of your marketing overhead holistic view. So it's ad spend plus those items that you just spoke about where it's like okay. the head count, the resourcing, all of that. So you'd break, you'd tease out paid as its own item. And then you would say like paid plus and kind of like whatever it took to run. Cause usually there's like a creative element in there or like an editing or a podcast production or whatever it may be. Exactly. And usually so many execs look at paid as a, it's a light switch. You can turn it on and off as you want. So it's a very easy variable to control and say, okay, if we spend this much, here's what we get. If we spend this much, here's what we'll get. Right. Okay. Okay. And then this is assuming, I guess this depends on some of their spend, right? You have, so like this, this is tapping into, um, a number of past episodes, but this would depend. This was uh, hopefully you've you've got your attribution, you've had your attribution in place for the past uh, year to be able to know how some of this stuff's coming through, right? Because for a lot of people, it might be the podcast, it might be organic LinkedIn, or even like paid LinkedIn, but impression based stuff. We've done a couple episodes on that um, versus like dollars in, dollars out, like Google Ads, you know, more bottom of funnel or like demand capture if you subscribe to that or whatever. Um, but basically the goal is to say, this is how much we put into paid spend platforms. And this is how much it took outside of salary to run our entire program. This is how many signups or deals resulted of that. And this was the total pipeline amount or, or dollar amount. And that would be like, and then what are we doing from there? Once, once we've got that figured out. Yeah. Once we get to that point, it's what are the growth levers? What are our options? So let me grab, I had an image that I shared with this just to help. I'm, I'm a huge visual person. Um, so one thing I always like to look at is I call it, it's like the simplified funnel. Yes, this is blended. Yes. Like I understand all the nuance that it is, but when you're having the conversation with leadership, you need to keep it simple and in a way that they'll understand. So what we have in this visual is a very simplified funnel. We have the left-hand side, which are our funnel stages or, or the different inputs that we'd have. So we were looking at things like variable marketing spend. So this could be your paid spend only. This could be plus resources, plus, you know, freelancers, anything like that. Uh, we have the number of demo requests and then cost per demo, demo to opportunity rate, how many opportunities were created, cost per op. And it flows through to closed one, average ACV for, per deal, how much revenue is booked, what's your target. This is going to help level set with expectations in a minute. And then you can look at things like um, you know, your market spend, uh, customer acquisition costs. That's if you do the all up, if you want resourcing, or you can just look at like uh, your variable marketing spend if you just want to do the ad spend side. And so that's the funnel. And then what we have next to it is... Um, your prior 12 months, I just looked like quarterly average. What can we expect? This will remove a little bit of seasonality just to say on an average quarter, what's that going to look like? Here's how much was spent. Here's what was driven in terms of demos, conversion rates, opportunities, closed one deals, all of that. 
And then we start to get into, for the expectation setting part, we'll say like, what if we project this out into Q3, into Q4? What are some benchmarks that we should be hitting with those? But you'll see there's some red boxes in here. And these are the, um, the bigger levers that I think we can impact. What you'll see, I have two different ways that we look at levers here. One is the green boxes. So these are the true marketing inputs. You could impact how much are we spending? Uh, what is mm -hmm. that going to get in terms of cost per demo? It's a function of your targeting. Uh, what, can, what can we get in terms of demo to opportunity rate? What's our win rate? What's our average ACV per deal? Reason I'm not looking at all of those as part of this conversation is because you have to do more with less. So adding more marketing spends out the window, um, that's that's not really something we can play with. So the big levers here are how do we improve our demo to opportunity rate? You'd be shocked by how many B2B companies struggle with this. Um, most often usually sit between 15 and 20%. And remember, these are people who are saying like, I want to talk to your sales team. You're going to have some you, fallout. You're just not making it easy enough for them. You're not making it easy enough for them. There's there's some type of friction in the process or you're pulling in way too many people that aren't really qualified. So that there could be something wrong with your targeting, your messaging, another alignment there. So yeah, most usually sit somewhere between 15 and 20% at that. Um, what I would recommend best practice usually should be somewhere between 30 to 50% when you really have that dialed in. So I'm not going to the leadership and saying you're going to have 50% next quarter, but it's a stepstone process where we're going to work towards that over the coming quarters. So that's a big lever. And then that impacts your win rate, believe it or not, because when you're bringing in more of the right people, more people who want to talk, they're going to, they're going to win at higher rates. You don't have to deal with so much negotiation, convincing, like they get the value, they get what you do. And so historically, I usually see about one out of five deals are one once they hit sales qualified, which eh, it's good. It's okay. But, um, if you can get that to one out of four, one out of three, that's a massive difference in, in tightening up your mm -hmm. funnel where it's like, how do you do more with less or how do you do more with the same? Just having better processes there can be the difference between, you know, one out of five deals closing and one out of three. That's, I'm not good at math, but like 25 to 50% your, your, um, the revenue that's coming in from your existing pipeline. So those are some of the big levers that I'll look at. I'm going to stop sharing for a second, but, um, what, what you can really do is, like if we go to that demo to opportunity conversion rate, how do you remove friction from that? What do you do? I mean, I'm sure you've probably done this before, but it's like, why, why do you not attend? Well, I'm sick of playing calendar tag with a rep or a BDR or someone like, let me just pick the date and time. Cause Lord knows if someone calls my cell phone, I'm, as I'm looking at it right now, it's not the save number of my phone. I'm not answering. Even if it is a company that I happen to be working with, like I've just been burned too many times. So yeah, let me schedule a time. So we don't even have to deal with that, with that hassle. Um, from a marketing lens, you can go in and, and review, like, look at your last 90 days of, of demo submissions. How many are non-ideal customer profiles? Like, why do you think they might be coming in? Is it a messaging thing? Is it the paid ads that you're running are targeting the incorrect people? Um, so like, that's another one that you can look at. Um, but I'd say those are probably two good ones at that layer. And then when you get into the the closed one layer, so uh, granted, if you're pulling in the right people, you'll win at higher rates, but you can also do something like a win loss analysis. It's, it doesn't have, and you, again, don't overcomplicate this one. Just go into your CRM. If it's set up properly, you should be looking at, okay, any deals in the last 12 months, closed, lost. What's the reason? Just pull that mm -hmm. field, create a pivot table. That's all you have to do. Usually you'll see if it's structured well, where it's like, you know, the sales reps have to pick an option. So they're already going to be bucketed. You'll get the, you can create a little pie chart or something to see like where's the majority falling in. 
and start to understand why are we losing deals and address those top one or two items. So what you'll often see if you have like a lack of product market fit or a bad offer is like, you're going to do lose a lot of deals due to pricing. It's like, all right, well, that tells us we either need to drop our pricing, add more features, um, functionality to the product. So it matches market expectations. Uh, if you're losing to competitors, again, is it a feature issue? Is it a pricing issue? What's going on there? Um, if deals are stalling out, it's like, well, are reps following up appropriately? Are they kind of putting the onus on the prospect to move the, the sales process along? So there's no one right answer for it, but it's at least going to start putting you on the right direction to figuring out like, hey, I might not be in the sales process myself, but I can help share these this data and this insights with sales management and sales reps themselves who I know, unless they're... I don't know, crazy. Like they want to be hitting their quota, achieving their quota, because that's how they get paid at the end of the day. So the more you can help provide them with those guardrails, the better that, that everything's going to pan out. Now, are you doing this in conjunction with like the VP of sales or like, are you analyzing this together? Are they looking at the same numbers as you? And you're saying, Hey, like, you know, we don't have any more spend that we can put at the top. Um, we're, we're, we've kind of refined. Maybe you're looking at, I, I think one thing you wrote in your post that I really loved was, Basically, once you take your historical performance for people who can't see, I'll link, I'll try and link this in the show. I'll link to Sam's uh, post because the visual he's describing is like a, is like a screenshot of his spreadsheet. So you can go reference what, what we're talking about here. Um, but basically you're taking the, the amount that you're spending, what that cost per demo is, and then the percentage is broken down from there. And then in the very far right-hand column, you have this column called benchmarks, where I'm guessing you're going through each one and you're saying, where are we kind of behind the curve? Like, where are we like underperforming even below like market averages that if we just brought it up, like there's some low hanging fruit for improved performance. So the only two you have those next to here is demo to opportunity weight or win rate. I'm guessing you would do, you would kind of go through every list though. Like you might go through and you might be like, Hey, we're paying way more for cost per click. Um, than like other SaaS companies in our market. Why is that? Like, do we need to improve our creative? Do we need to improve our targeting? Like it probably gets that granular. Um, but, but when you've kind of picked like, okay, in your example, let's say ad targeting is on point or ad spend is on point within benchmarks average. Um, and so we're kind of getting these sales functions. It makes sense to me. Like, yeah, marketing maybe owns the website. So like if we can integrate a chili piper or, you know, a, a cruder version of like a Calendly, um, and give some way for people to book directly with with uh, with an AE who are raising their hand or qualify them and make sure they're not wasting an AE's time, like boom, we've just improved by 5% or whatever, which is improving win rate because you're getting higher intent people uh, further down funnel. But when you get into things like the win-loss like analysis, and I'm I'm even thinking like some of it might be, we, we had Asia Rangio and talking about churn and it was like, yeah, sometimes like marketing can be promising something that the product are like in demos, either sales isn't echoing that same promise or showing how that promise is delivered or the product itself can't deliver that promise. So do you find when you do this, like in, in our premise, the boss is kind of coming to you and saying, Sam, VP of, you know, VP of marketing, uh, I need you to do more with less. But in reality, you're once you stop looking at what marketing alone can do, you're kind of getting into these like working with sales, working with product, working with CS like functions, how much does that happen in conjunction with them? Like, does it need to be hand in hand? Does the org need to be pretty tight that way? Or, or do you feel like you would just put together a win loss 
ratio and take it to, or analysis and take and take it to sales and say, here, go do with it what you will. Like, what does that collaboration look like? I guess. Yeah. Um, so I usually say I like to do this proactively when I first come in. That's a great way to come in, fresh set of eyes, you know. If this has been done before, great. More often than not, it may not have been, or it's been done within the function of a specific team department. So what I usually do is pull the initial data first. And then before I start going and saying, we need to increase that, we need to do better here. I'll, I'll go and reach out to that VP of sales, the head of customer success, whoever that is to say like, Hey, here's some insights I found, like gut check me a little bit on this. Do I have all the right data in here? Does this look accurate to you? And then we can start to come up with the plan. But to your point around collaboration, like when you're playing at this level of pipeline revenue, if you aren't collaborating and working cross departmentally, then one, that's a larger issue that needs to be addressed. And, and two, like that's how you will grow as a company right now, because yeah, like you said, Mark, I'm sure you've been talking to sales before you've been promised one thing you get in the product. You're like, that's not possible. And CS is like, yeah, it's on the roadmap, but maybe next year, if you're lucky, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, there's yeah, always yeah. those types of things. So you definitely need to make sure that you're working closely, have those lines of communication open with the teams. But if you want it to be truly adopted, everyone has to be one open to this kind of feedback to willing to implement it. And three willing to hold the team accountable to it and start saying like, you know, this is a new way. This, this is a new process. But again, to communication, it's not enough to say like, this is what you need to do. Win rates need to increase. You need to explain why, you know, here's what's happening. You know, um, previously we were targeting way too broadly. We started to tighten that up. So you should have better opportunities now. You should be able to win this more. So, um, you know, as, as marketing is tightening that up, we'd like you all to make sure that we have the right processes in place for you to be following up with your opportunities. You know, we noticed that one out of three deals don't have activities associated with them. Why is that? You know, let's, let's get a little bit tighter with making sure that our prospects have what they need, but um, yeah, the, the ability to work well with others, like my, I probably have more conversations with our sales team and BDRs than I do with the, like the marketing individuals that I've been using previously. Granted, I just hired people today, so that's going to change. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the closest people I'm always talking to are, are the people at the front lines having the conversation sales CS, like what's important. What are they asking for? Because, I'm not going to spin up an offer for marketing or talk about messaging about things that the market frankly doesn't care about. You know, I can go and interview all the customers I want, but customers and prospects are very different in in their needs and how they're being serviced. So also taking that lens of, you know, am I working with sales right now on the acquisition side, am I working with customer success on the retention and making sure that they're educated using the product well side. If you try to do that on your own, you're going to fail. You just don't have enough information and it would be really a really poor use of your time if you're at the director VP CMO level to be trying to dig into that on your own. Okay. Yeah. love it. I think it feels like there can be this pressure of when you're not necessarily aware of everyone's, uh, you, you know, the pressure everyone's under for this change. So it's like, oh, I've got to do like, I've got to do this. You know, I, I've got to double uh, results with, with my budget cut in half. Um, and so I think it can feel like this isolating thing. <clears throat> but yeah, this, this is really, uh, really helpful because the moment you're saying we're not going to effectively do more at top of funnel, like what's here is here, then we've got to make more of what, and this would involve, you know, messaging on the website, conversion on the website, how helpful you're being, like how much are you helping prospects make the right decision? But then that naturally impacts like, you know, Adam Goyette, who we came on, had a very similar push. He said he'll often come in and look at the full uh, customer lifecycle and then 
mark, make sure that they're measuring each stage and then just say, what's our highest and what's our lowest performing? Let's raise our lowest performing to level, uh, like level set it and get it to benchmark average. And then let's tr see if we can double down on our best performing. And that might be a, usually like a, a marketing channel. That leads me to something else I want to ask you before we move on to the last stage is when you're in this position, a lot of people are talking about content as this lean growth tactic or lean growth channel. Like I think a lot of people, when budgets get tight for paid, they're all of a sudden like, Ooh, like now what can we do with content? What are your thoughts about like, where's the place to like cut off the channels that are maybe you're spending money that are pro poorly performing or starting some stuff like content? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, this is timely last week, two weeks ago, I probably spent three days doing an analysis on like different channels. And I went through and um, paid search is a darling of, of marketing, right? Like marketing 101, if you're going to do acquisition stuff, you do paid search, you do some paid social. Analyze it though, because just because you always have done those doesn't mean you should, right? So in our example, we're, we have a lower ACV. Google's very expensive. So I ran the numbers and we were not profitable within 12 months of a lot of the keywords we were going after. So I was like, we don't need to spend this. Like there's other channels that are much lower than that. So yeah, those are far from being tapped out. So I'd be, it'd be irresponsible of me to just knowing that information and knowing the upside and other spots to continue to just keep putting money into this channel. Cause we always have, so do the numbers. It's not fun. It's not sexy, but that's where one, you're going to get credibility with your business leaders. Cause you know, I go and take that to my CEO. He's just like, yeah, do it. That's perfect. Because to him it's, it's numbers. It's a function of like, I have a marketing budget. I don't care at the channel level. Like they really don't, to be honest, right. they trust you to do that. So he's like, you have your marketing budget, do what's going to get the most results for us. And then that's where it's on me, where if I, knowing that information continue to, I'm like, well, I'm kind of, you know, not doing my job to the extent that I should be. So one, run the numbers, do it by channel. And the way that I made that decision was I was looking at customer acquisition costs, um, you know, looking at how much revenue came in from those different channels. Granted, it's a paid search is a very, end of funnel, like click on that to finally start the sales process. So it's much sure. more straightforward than, uh, you know, a social effort or an organic effort, but, um, do it for all of them. I think it's incredibly helpful just to know like, what is the return or what's the, what's the upside. If it is just brand awareness, go look at your channels where it's reaching your ICP truly in a cost-effective way and making sure that they're also absorbing, consuming the content, not just getting in front of them and scrolling past it. So would definitely look at those, um, when you talk about content, yeah, it's like, we don't have budget. Let's just go do more content. Well, content isn't free per se. It's it's a different <laughs> yeah. way of, you know, it's it, it depends on the people, time who are doing it. So for example, like our plan had been to start a podcast. We have one out. I'm one of the hosts. Our CEO is one of the hosts. Like if you look at what our compensation is, like that's not super cheap per se, but the upside of it and knowing what we're doing with it and how that content is being created, used, distilled down and amplified. Um, you know, we take that long form podcast like this. We then turn that into blog posts, which fuels, um, you know, written segments that can be used for email newsletters, for prospecting efforts, for customer newsletters. We create micro videos that can be shared from our organic social profile company page, from um, our CEO's profile, from my profile, from the guests that we have on. So there's all this reach that that's technically free, right? You don't have to pay LinkedIn for those impressions, but you're getting right, on yeah. that side. But um, there's no, there's no free lunch per se. Like there's always going to be a cost associated. It just depends on the lens that you look at it from, but 
the reason why I think content's so important and why you have people vocalizing it is how how that content's being made, who it's coming from, and how it's being distributed is very different because it's not coming from this ominous like brand where it's like, you know, Loxo says this. It's like, no, like Sam said this or Databox mm-hmm. says this. No, like Jeremiah says this. People trust people, right? So it's just, it's more credible when they know the people behind it. And it's also like, it's different when it's your reputation on hand versus the company reputation, because you're not going to share something that might be disingenuous, false, like not quite the full picture because you don't want that to reflect poorly on you. So why content is so important is because there's an added layer of trust, especially the organic level that you can't get from paid because anyone can put money behind something and show it in front of people. But to get likes and engagement, that's social validation in a way. And the more people that like it and engage with it, that shows more people agree with that or I mean, granted, you can say something really off the cuff and stupid and get poor engage, like negative engagement, but that's a that's a different tactic. But um, it's just it's another way of of getting people pulled in because it's like okay, if that many people are gravitating towards it, like I kind of see want to see what this conversation's about or learn from it and start to rabbit hole down there. Yeah, I definitely I can understand why when people run the analysis and maybe like bids have gone up or ad platforms are more competitive and they can't put any more money in the machine, they turn this way. Cause if they have the personnel, it makes sense. I do agree. It's one of those things people make mistakes with just to underline what you're saying. I think the only reason content work like really, really works is whether they're internal at your company or you're leveraging them. Like we do with a lot of partners, like you need subject matter experts the content has to be like some of the best that people can find out there. Um, and it's not free. Like it always like Databox exclusively markets through content, right? It's like all of our ad channels are content or all of our channels are content. We don't put anything toward paid. Um, same thing, low ACV. We tested it for a while, like didn't make sense. And um, and we're exploring like right now, I'm kind of evaluating playing with like launching even another content channel. And but it's a lot of work. Like it's a heavy lift. And usually like, it's not nearly like when you, if you were to completely compare apples to apples, you'd have to take like you're in your CEO's salary and be like, imagine getting that amount per year done over like LinkedIn, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden people would think about it different. So I think that's the thing. It, it, it should not be this quick reflection of like, okay, time to use the free stuff, especially since like algorithms are changing. Like it's not that easy to get massive organic reach on LinkedIn anymore. Um, Mm -mm. so yeah, I think these are things people need to consider, but was just curious to get your take on it. Cause I know I've just seen a lot of posts spinning up around this now, like now that, uh, all this paid is gone and people don't have 50 K 200 K to put on LinkedIn or wherever they're like, Oh, content. It's like, have you ever started a podcast before? Have you ever tried to make it real, like better than the other hundred B2B marketing podcasts out there? Like it's not easy, you know? No, no. And to get. There's such a long tail effect of it because for the first quarter or two quarters, like I was ecstatic the other day when I saw we had 80 views on one of our podcast videos. I'm like, holy crap, that many people watched it. But like you go and compare that to LinkedIn reach. If you only got, you know, a day's worth of ad spend and you only got 80 people reach, you'd be like, that's terrible. Why isn't this working? So you have to be like 25 bucks. You're like, uh, was it worth it? Yeah. Right. So yeah, you really have to that comes down to the conversation part later on, but are you making sure that everyone's on the same page? Because if you do go that route where you're spending less, but it's going to take a lot longer for that engine to build out and to start to be on the receiving end of, of that eventual, hopefully flywheel. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So at this point, hopefully 12 months ago, the ethereal marketer listening to the show uh, has gotten their attribution on point. They're doing some version of like, how did you hear about us within if their product led it's 
probably in the product or it's, you know, on the, on the call booking form for demos. Um, so they're able to track those hard track channels like podcaster content or LinkedIn ads, whatever. Um, and they've hopefully been tracking their marketing performance and able to know what all of it is doing for them. So now when the time comes, they're doing this uh, analysis that you've done. They're saying, this is how much we're putting in uh, in spend. This is how much we're getting out of it. They're reviewing with benchmarks. They're finding one or two areas. Usually you're saying like not so much top of funnel, but more like improving further down funnel, working hand in hand with sales. Um, and now comes this third tier time to talk to your to, time to level set and set expectations and get leadership on board. And this is probably the one that makes uh, people's stomachs turn the most. So talk me through this one. Yeah, this is always the fun part. I still remember the first handful of times I, you know, walked into the room, whether it was virtual or in person, I was like, Hey, here's the plan. Come shred it. Um, it's never, uh, I don't know. You never know how it's going to go, but that's what I say. If you've done your, if you've done your homework, you really trust the numbers. You validated it. You work with the different teams, departments to do it. Like the numbers are what the numbers are at that point. So, um, what we would do, I'm going to go back to this little visual is, so we had this, this prior quarterly average. And so what I like to say is let's model out the next quarter, the next two quarters, because we do want them to understand that it's not a light switch. This isn't something that's just like all of a sudden, you know, we're going to improve our demo opportunity rate by removing the friction of the process, implementing a tool like Chili Piper. So people, you know, turn into opportunities, but it's going to take time. You're going to have to iterate. You're going to have to improve. So what I like to do is show them, you know, in the first quarter, I think that we can, you know, we, we've been pretty heavily under the, the industry benchmark. So I think that we can improve that by 5% um, first quarter and then another 5% by the second quarter. So you start to model that out. So if you had, you know, less spend, you can say, okay, well, knowing the spend, here's how many demos we would expect given our, our previous rate. But since we're converting at a higher rate, we're actually going to have more opportunities created than we did before. And that's where we say, you know, it doesn't always have to be paid spend, but tightening things up. So if we combine, you know, Im implementing something like that, working with sales team and understand why we're losing deals and be able to give them some firepower to improve that. Now you've got an extra deal one, according to this model in one quarter with less money, map that out two quarters ahead. We're going to continue to improve those demo to opportunity rates, continue to improve win rates. Now you've got two extra deals one than before. And so that's where I like to compare it and show them, you know, you wanted us to achieve more revenue than last quarter. You know, we're not going to do it in this first quarter. We're going to get close, but the reality is it takes time to get to this. But by the second quarter, because you said we have to double our revenue within two quarters, we're actually going to achieve that, but it's going to take time. We're going to have to do this. This isn't a light switch type thing, but by showing you where the different inputs are, what the impact of those, like what are the behaviors that we're going to be implementing with sales, with customer success, with our price strategy, with, you know, insert whatever it is that you're doing by helping them connect the dots and not just saying we can't do that or we can do that, but you have to educate them and, and go through step-by-step step so they understand, okay, now I get why it's going to take longer because we have a, you know, we have a three-month sales cycle. So we're not going to see win rates improve until this next batch of opportunities come through or once people start to come in with this new offer or, you know, implementation time of software, whatever it is, but it's going to help them be able to connect the dots more of, you know, it's not just paid light switch on and off, but these are fundamental processes within our organization due to teams that are working on it, the purchase cycle, whatever that is. And they can start to understand like, okay, there is the time lag of this, but we are going to get to that. And then that's where I say like, you know, you can be realistic. These are conservative numbers. I would say, we'll want to get to 30, 50% next year. And, you know, if we modeled out another two quarters, we'll keep growing here. We'll keep growing a little bit here, but 
the curve is going to stop the drastic uh, increase. It's going to start leveling a little bit more because there's only so many other micro adjustments we can make at that point. But that's what's going to help us improve across the board. And and hopefully by that time, you know, companies doing a lot better, you can start putting more money in the top of the funnel again, and we can really help this thing take off. But yeah, the ability to have the numbers, but also understand like what's going on behind the numbers is what's so important in helping them understand the time, understanding, and and ultimately like, will we, or won't we be able to achieve this potentially realistic or unrealistic growth goal that you have? Yeah. I think it seems like the, the macro points here are show that you know what's driving the results up until now, where the current revenue is coming from and what's working, uh, and then show that's not going to be able to increase dramatically, right? We might, we might test a new content channel, for example, but like we have no historical data on that. So we hope that that begins to yield something, which means that we can only kind of improve performance further down funnel, you know, at these other rates and these other stages. And if we do, here's what it will look like. And it may not be exactly what's projected. Um, have you, what do you think is the, the right frequency for this? Like, it feels like, especially, I mean, this would be true for all the time, but especially when you've been asked to do a lot with a little, are you revisiting this every quarter and kind of updating them on like, Hey, we were a little bit ahead of what I thought, or we were a little bit behind. Like I'm going to level set with you for the future. Is this happening once at the beginning of the year? Um, what does the frequency look like? And the, at which you're kind of adjusting the plan. Like I would imagine if everything went really, really well, and maybe in the first two quarters you hit the benchmarks, um, and you can assume that those, you know, demo to opportunity rates are what they should be or whatever. Um, are you then going back to like explore doing some more stuff up funnel? Like, are you trying to find other areas to improve? What, how often are you revisiting this plan and, and looking for further improvements? Yeah. So usually say build the plan annually based on what you've been doing, your big bets, where you think you can improve, uh, measure, analyze quarterly, um, because most sales teams are, are compensated by quarterly goals, not monthly, um, you know, sales cycles, all that fun stuff, but look quarterly for those types of things. Are we on track? Are we a little ahead? Are we behind? You know, where's it pacing monthly? I'm just looking at pacing. How are we doing? But I'm not, if you change things monthly, nothing's going to work. You're going to have way too many variables at play. So I'd say really like look annually to build out your plan quarterly for analysis, fine tuning things. But those are, those are the levels when you're talking about this down funnel and how many, dominoes in effect are, are going to be impacted. If you make changes by this, you, you should probably, you need to take a little bit of a longer lens approach there. Awesome. This has been awesome. I love this framework. Uh, like I said, for listeners, you can swipe up on your podcast app that you're listening to right now and, and, uh, view the, you know, we'll link to Sam's post and you can view the uh, spreadsheet that he's referring to here. Um, okay. Time for some recurring lightning round questions. Um, <laughs> let's do, all right. Three desert Island metrics. You're new to Loxo. You can only pick three metrics to report on and to track for the rest of your life. What are you picking? Pipeline generated, revenue generated, and then how your signups or demos heard about you. Love it. One qualitative 
too quantitative. Okay. It's interesting. No one says, um, well, Gitano, uh, we had Gitano uh, Denardi on and he said he would do like a, well, he, I didn't ask him that question exactly, but he said more and more he's becoming a fan. The, the, the more mature he gets in his career, the more and more he's a fan of like a leading metric and a lagging metric, like that they're consuming the information and seeing the stuff. And then like the lagging that, um, I don't know if that's like more unique to growth marketing, but, um, all right, finish the sentence, just completely open-ended. So whatever comes to mind, data is meaningless without context. Love it. Um, yeah, man, I've seen data tossed around so, so many times badly. <laughs> Could get horror stories there, but I know this is lightning round. <laughs> um, all right, last one. Your number one tip for B2B leaders, we'll say because uh, of your VP position, B2B marketing leaders who are trying to drive predictable performance. If you could pass on one tip to a newly minted VP. Get your foundation and fundamentals in order. Like stop chasing the shiny thing. It your fundamentals drive 80% of your results at the end of the day. So it's like it's the bad analogy, right? Shaky foundation, can't build anything on top of it. What are the fundamentals in your in your mind? Audience definition, messaging, your offer, your operational processes. So we were talking about earlier, like the demo to getting them to attend the meeting. Um sales team follow-ups, just making sure that data is syncing between different platforms, all the things that are never sexy, but like those are what you pour gasoline onto, so to speak, to, to grow. Awesome. Sam, this has been a really fun conversation. Thanks for coming on a timely topic. I hope it's really valuable for people that are listening. Um, where can people go to follow you, to check out Loxo? Like, where do you want them to go? Give them all the call to actions here. All the call to actions. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So I share my thoughts. I try to hide on any other platform. Um, so yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Loxo, website's loxo.co. We help recruiters um, with some some of the best software, I personally think. Maybe a bit biased, but um, just help them be more effective there. So yeah, those are the two main places. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.